Genesis 30, 25, through to the end of chapter 31. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you'll do this for me, I will again pass through your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and every spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you've said, but... That day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons and set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white streaks in them exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled and front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and all the black of the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Then Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that made it with the flocks, flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, And I said, here I am. 
And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped and spotted and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out of this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left for us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as, a, as foreigners? For he has sold us and indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all the livestock, all his property that he had gained, and the livestock in his possession that he had acquired at Padamaram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Ramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. When he told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country in Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. Why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Then Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat in them. Laban felt all about the tent, but didn't find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of the woman is upon me. So he searched, but he did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. 
These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring before you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, the heat consumed me in the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to the kinsmen, gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galeat. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me. Therefore, he named it Galeat and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take my wives, or take if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness. But I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks for it. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we need your help every time we come to your word. And so we pray that that's what would happen this evening, that your spirit would be at work, enabling us to see, enabling us to hear, and enabling us to keep your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what I want you to see this evening. Two tricky men, two tricky men, and one faithful, sovereign God. Okay? Two tricky men, but one faithful, sovereign God. When someone has a perceived reputation for lying, well then... It's hard to know whenever they're telling the truth, okay? Just ask Donald Trump or Boris Johnson. They maybe know what that's like. 
But tonight, neither of those men are our focus, but we're looking at two very tricky men. (laughs) But even more than that, we are looking at one faithful, sovereign God. And I think that's what we're going to see as we camp out in in this chunk of Genesis this evening. And so let's jump in and look at it together. We know that Jacob has been serving Laban for 14 years at the start, 14 years of service for his two wives. But now Jacob is looking out, he's looking to head home. Now you might remember why Jacob had fled from home 14 years earlier, whenever he had tricked his father, tricked his father into giving him the blessing rather than Esau. And Esau was not one bit happy, and so Esau had in mind to kill Jacob, and so Jacob thought it was wise to leave home. Probably was. But the plan was never a permanent plan. Back in 28.4, Isaac, Jacob's father, had blessed him, and one of the things that he'd said in his blessing was this, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Okay? So did you spot that? Even at the point of leaving, the plan was always to return. The plan was always to return to the land promised to Abraham and his seed. And God had already told him that night whenever he slept. Do you remember that part of the story when he slept with his head on a stone and dreamt about that ladder with the angels ascending and descending? God had told him that he would give him the land on which his head lay. And so Jacob going back to his homeland has always been an important part of the plan. And so now he asks his uncle Laban, he says, send me away that I might go to my home and my country. And we might think this is a fair request, okay, because why? Well, he's been serving him for 14 years, no less. 14 years, and surely Laban will be favorable and grant his request to leave. But Laban's not up for that at all, is he? No, Laban's not up for it because Laban has recognized that while Jacob has been with him, well, he has been richly blessed by God. But but notice what we're told. We're told something rather strange. We're told that Laban recognized that God had blessed him. And how did he recognize this? Well, we're told that it was by divination. Okay, divination, that's an occult practice, okay? We look in Deuteronomy, we see that it was forbidden for God's people. And so here what we see is one man who recognizes that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God is the one who he is able to bless, and yet he does not worship this God. He doesn't worship him. For Laban, he looks at Jacob, and what he sees is a cash cow, right? This is a passage all about sheep, but he looks at him and sees a cash cow. And so he says, no, I want you to stay, <laughs> Name your wages, and I am happy to meet it. And Jacob himself acknowledges that it's actually because of God that things have went so incredibly well for Laban. We see that in verse 30, don't we? For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed wherever you turned. You see, what we see working out here is the continuation of the blessing that was given to Abraham way back in in Genesis 12, 3. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So initially, at least, Laban has been really reaping the benefits of this uh, promise, this covenant that was made way back with Abraham and his seed. 
The blessing's been passed down from generation to generation. And here, Laban grows rich as a result. But Jacob says, look, I need to now look after my own family. I've got responsibilities. I'm no longer responsible to you, my father-in-law at this point. I've, I've paid the, the bride price. And so what I need to do is I need to go and look after those who I'm responsible for. I've got a growing family and I need to head back to the land of promise. But it seems that Jacob is actually happy to stay a little bit longer, <laughs> a little bit longer before he heads back. And he doesn't want money, but he does agree to look after Laban's flock if he gets some flock in return. And so what does he say? He says, if you give me all of the spotted and the speckled sheep and the little black lambs for my wages, then, then I'll be happy. Then Laban listens and he thinks that's a good deal. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we can come to an agreement. And so they shake hands. It's a good deal. He wants the blessing of God. He doesn't want God, but he wants the blessing of God. And so he agrees to the arrangements. Well, he agrees to the arrangements, but he doesn't let the dust actually settle on the handshake before, well, what does he do? Laban, the trickster, is up to his old tricks again because straight away, what does he do? He gets all the spotted and the speckled, uh, male and female and all the little black lambs and he pulls them out of his flock and he sends them three days back to his sons so that there's some distance apart. Presumably, he's thinking if there's no spotted or striped or speckled sheep among the flock, well, then the chances of producing many spotted or striped or speckled offspring are, are really quite slim. It's good news for him, and it's bad news for Jacob. But Jacob was also up for interfering, wasn't he, in, in what would be classed as fair play. I'm assuming that whenever Jacob went out and he looked through the flock, he thought, something strange has gone on here. All of the speckled and striped and spotted sheep are no longer here. Any shepherd knows his sheep, and so as he looks out, he'll say, hmm, these are now all the white sheep that are left. All the spotted and speckled and striped ones are now gone. So what does he do? Well, Jacob's plan seems to be one of using a particular pagan superstitious idea, this kind of ritual where you take fresh sticks of poplar and almond trees and you set them up in front of the flocks, exposing them to the white of the stick, and somehow then they would breed in front of them, and all that would be bred in front of them would be striped and speckled and spotted. Now, I grew up on a farm, and we never tried this, but I can tell you, I, I don't think it works, okay? Uh, but what else does he do? Well, he, he tries to introduce some selective breeding program where he would try to breed from his own flock, the stronger sheep, and then the weaker sheep for Laban now. Growing up on a farm, I can tell you that does work, okay? That does work. That's a much better idea. But these are two tricky men, aren't they? Whenever we look at Laban and we look at Jacob, we see two tricky men. They're both seeking to deceive the other. They're both seeking to trick the other. Neither are really being honest and, and seeking to live out righteously what they said. And so what happens? What happens? Well, verse 43, thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Well, things seem to have went well for Jacob. Now, the text is not saying to the farmer, go get yourself some poplar and almond branches. No, that's not what the text is saying, okay? The text doesn't actually make much comment on, on Jacob's practice. But what it does say is this, Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous, exceedingly prosperous. This was not normal, okay? This was some sort of supernatural prosperity. 
And we know what the reason is, and we know that it's not because of some crazy superstitious ritual that he went through with all of these sticks, setting them up in front of the sheep that were breeding. No, we know that it's purely down to the blessing of God. That's why Jacob has done so well. Now look with me at the start of chapter 31. The start of chapter 31 tells us that Jacob's wealth is not going down well with Laban's sons. As they see Jacob, they say he's got what should be ours. And so you can imagine the, the tension now between these family units, can't you? Whether Jacob had received what was deserved or not didn't really come into it. No, Jacob had wealth and the other sons wanted it. And so it soured the relationship. And isn't that often the case? That wealth and possessions can rather than bringing blessing to a family, very often be the very cause of great family ruptures. And so be careful what we wish for in terms of uh, material wealth because the love of money is the cause of all kinds of evil and relational breakdown and strife is often one of those. But you also wonder, is it the... Is it the family strife here that is the very thing that God actually uses to, to stir the nest, so to speak, to make things that little bit more uncomfortable for Jacob? Things were not as, uncom- as comfortable as they once were. And so perhaps we get a little glimpse into how God often works. He often unsettles us. He often prods, pokes, unsettles things, so that we're at the point where we might hear what he says and then listen. So I wonder this evening if you're going through a period of unsettling. I wonder if you're going through a period of unsettling because God has something that he wants to say to you and he's getting your attention and he wants you to listen and he wants you to be obedient. Maybe you're here this evening and you're saying, yes, Jeff, that's very much the case. And I know exactly what God's wanting to say, but I don't want to be obedient. Well, I think God's message this evening is he wants you to be obedient. And so maybe now would be a time to sit up, to listen, and to say, okay, Lord, you've got my attention. Verse three, return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you. I wonder how Jacob felt when he heard God speak again. It wasn't exactly something new. He knew he was to go back, but it reminded him of God's words. It reminded him of God's words, and it reminded him of God's presence. And sometimes those reminders make all the difference in the world. Maybe you've been going through a difficult time, a hard time, and then you hear God's word, and it makes all the difference in the world, reminding you that God is with you. Here was Jacob. He was setting about to leave what was unknown, stepping out from what's been comfortable in terms of provision over the years. And God steps in and reminds him, I will be with you. I will be with you. Perhaps you know that God is calling you to act this evening, calling you to move, calling you to step into something that's new something that moves you away from what is familiar and, in that sense, comfortable. 
Perhaps God's calling you to step away from a, a toxic situation, not unlike Jacob's, maybe at a workplace that has become enslaving. Maybe you need to be reminded tonight that you're not stepping out alone, that you have God with you, the Spirit of God indwelling in you if you are a believer. Jacob and Laban are two, two tricky men. And yet, as we read their story, we realize that there is one faithful, sovereign God, and you can trust him this evening. You can trust him. Jacob hears God speak, and, and what does he do? Well, it moves him to action, doesn't it? He gets Rachel and Leah to meet him in a field where he can have this private conversation. And Jacob shares how he's feeling. He says, look, I can tell that your father no longer regards me with favor. He's not really been that keen of me of late. But the God of my father, well, he has been with me. And here's Jacob's summary of God being at work. He says, God is the one who has kept me safe from the harm of your father. God has taken the livestock of your father, and he is the one who has given it over to me. In fact, it seems that the reason Jacob knew to ask for the striped and the spotted and the speckled sheep was actually because of a dream where the angel of God had revealed to him exactly what would happen. And in this dream, this God, the the God whom Jacob had met in that dream at Bethel already, the one whom Jacob had already made a vow to, has told him to arise and go back to the land and to his family. So how would this go when he breaks it to his wives? They're going to have to up sticks, leave their father and their family circle close by. Potentially a difficult conversation, you might imagine. But actually, it seems here that the girls are very happy. Rachel and Leah, they, they don't seem to have much time for their father Laban, do they? They're, they're quite happy to leave. In fact, look at verses 14 and 15. Because it shows us that as far as they can tell, their father has only ever used them for gain. That's how they perceive it. That their father has only ever used them for his own gain. Right. That is quite an indictment on their father, isn't it? Quite an indictment. And yet, sadly, it's not a unique story, is it? When a parent wants their children to end up with a a certain guy or girl or a certain job or a particular set of exam results because of the benefit that it will bring to them. Bragging rights and results day, a marriage that allows the child to continue in the ways that they've been accustomed to, and financial stability, a job where whenever they would say it to someone else, they would say, oh, wow, their son, their daughter has done really well. And yet, rather than being out of love for the child, it's actually an inverted love, isn't it? A love for self. A longing to see them grow in godliness and following Jesus faithfully, that's really what's best for them. And so for parents, that is what they should be longing for. And yet often, often it can feel to be significant in the eyes of parents. And so I wonder if we can just speak to the parents here this evening. What is your child or your children believed to be the most important thing, the most important thing that you want them to achieve? And is that out of love for them or is that out of love for you? A love for self. 
Because if godliness is not the most important thing that you want to see in your children, if it's not godliness, well, then you do not love them as you ought. And if you recognize that that's the case this evening, well, then what do you do? Well, you should repent, isn't it? You should repent and you should seek godliness as the primary target, the most important thing that you see in their lives. Now, sadly, there's, there's going to be many here who have not experienced the love of their earthly father in the way that they should have for whatever reason. But you know, if you had to choose, if you had to choose between an earthly father's love or the love of, of the father the Father God that we see here, well then, surely you'd want it to be the second. And if you're a believer here this evening, no matter what your earthly father has been like, well then you have the love of the God of Abraham and Isaac of Jacob. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, Rachel and Leah, they finish up their response to Jacob with these words. Verse 16, look with me, these are really important. Now then, Whatever God has said to you, do. Whatever God has said to you, do. If you want to give good advice to someone, well, then this is it. Whatever God has said, do. And let me qualify that a little bit, okay? Um, if it's not something God has said in his word, well, then you cannot be sure that God has said it, okay? So lots of people say things. They say, oh, God told me this. But then they follow it with words that, well, it'd be very questionable whether God actually said it. So that's the, the qualification. But if God has already revealed what we need in his word, and people are, are, are wondering, should they live that out? Well, you say, yes, absolutely, live that out. Do what God has said. And wives, given the context of this this evening, given the, the context of uh, this passage, can I urge you to do this, okay? Encourage your husbands to do what God calls them to do. Now, you might think that, well, surely your husband already knows what God wants him to do in, in much of life, and so why would he need your encouragement? And yes, I suppose there's a sense where that is true, but as a, a husband, I can speak and say that we are not as mature as we should be or could be, okay? And so we need a little bit of encouragement. And if one of the wife's roles is to be a helpmate, well, then help him here. Help him here. Encourage him. For example, encourage your husbands to take spiritual lead in the home if he is a Christian. Encourage him to spend time reading the Bible to you as a family. Encourage him to pray with you as a family unit. And if he says, look, God is speaking to me through this passage, and I can see really clearly this is, this is what we're supposed to do, applying the passage in a way as appropriate to the passage, well, then encourage him to take the lead and to move in that direction, to act on what God is saying. So let's jump back into the, the story. Verse 17, Jacob is now back to his old tricks. Laban is out in business for a few days. It's sheep shearing time. If you grew up on a farm or live on a farm, you'll know that sheep shearing is one of the big activities in the diary. And um, it's a big date, even at the moment, and we've got electric shears, okay? So if you didn't have electric shears, this was a much longer date, a number of days. And so while Laban is camping out with the sheep, 
Jacob gets his family together, his flocks and his herds and his property, and he, he sets off back towards the land of his ancestors. Verse 20, and Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. Jacob may be responding to the call of God again, and yet, even in how he responds, it seems that he cannot get away from trickery, from trickery. He can't leave it behind. And don't miss verse 19. What happens there? We're told that Rachel stole her father's household gods. Now, we're going to come back to that later, but you need to pick up on it. And then in in verse 22, Laban finds out that Jacob has left. He's got a a three-day head start, and he is not a happy bunny, okay? So he he takes his, his kinsmen, and he pursues them for seven days. You need to be pretty angry to pursue someone for seven days, don't you? And then look at what happens just before he arrives. Verse 24, but God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. In other words, Laban, he says, watch yourself, watch yourself, do not harm him. And so Laban, he catches up with Jacob, verse 26, and Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me? And driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me? Now, if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, you will have to say that there is a certain sense of irony in this passage, isn't there? These are rich words coming from Laban. The man who tricked Jacob into marrying Leah rather than Rachel. And now here he is complaining that he himself is the one who has been tricked, okay? And so as we read it, we have to smile, don't we? And then he makes it sound like his, like his daughters have been carted off against their will, which is actually far, far, far from the truth. They're quite happy to get away from their enslaving father. And remember, whenever you get married, what happens? You, you leave your parents and you start off a new family unit. But apart from speaking, Laban can't really do anything else. Verse 29 In fact, Laban tries to boast of his strength. He says, it is in my power to do harm. But although it might look like that's the case, we know that he is actually being restrained by God. Restrained by God, verse 29. But the God of uh, your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. I wonder, do you realize this evening that God is still working in the same way? God is still restraining evil restraining evil, caring for his, for his people in a particular way so that often things do not work out in the way that the perpetrators of evil seek. The bomb that doesn't go off, the gun that fails to shoot, the political campaign that implodes before the harmful legislation gets passed. And yet, and yet sometimes, in God's good purpose, Those very things do happen. And we need to say there too, God is sovereign. He knows what he is doing, and he is always good. Now, Laban boasts here of his power, and yet God is the one who restrains him. And that's really where the power lies. And it seems that even Jacob had forgotten that. Even though God had spoken to him and and told him that he should leave and head back home, It is fear of Laban 
that really determines how Jacob goes about it. Verse 35, he says, I was afraid. I was afraid. And we understand that, don't we? Because often the fear of man consumes us much more than it should. And often the fear of God does not grip us in the way that it should either. And now we get to this really quite bizarre little section about Laban's household gods and how they have been stolen. Notice how Laban describes these gods. He says, these are my gods, my gods. So he might have had a fear of Yahweh, but it didn't lead him to worship Yahweh, still worshiping his own little gods, isn't he? Now let me just highlight something that might seem pretty basic at this point, but I think it's worth noting. If your God can be stolen, then he is not much of a God, okay? If your God can be stolen, he is not much of a God. And if your God can be made by someone's hands, might I suggest that he is not much of a God either. And yet, this is what Laban turns to and worships. But Rachel has stolen them, and Jacob, he has no idea that Rachel has, uh, is actually the one who's stolen them. This family deception thing seems to run really quite deep in these families, doesn't it? And foolishly, Jacob says that if they are, are found with anyone in his camp, well, then they're going to die. What, what, a, what a crazy thing to say. Imagine if, imagine if they actually had been found. Here is Rachel, his wife, and was he going to put her to death? It was crazy, wasn't it? And then there's questions about why Rachel actually stole them in the first place. I mean, that's on your mind, isn't it? Well, what, why does Rachel steal these gods in the first place? Was it that she still mixed a little bit of pagan superstitiousness with her, with her Yahweh worship? Anybody else we see do this in this passage? I mean, that's what Jacob seems to do, isn't it? With those sticks and his alternative breeding plans. That seems to be what he's doing. Or was it that she just really hated her dad? <laughs> and she knew that he really, really loved these gods and thought, I'm going to stick one to you, and I'm going to take those little gods, and I'm going to bring them with me. And you're not going to like it one bit. Well, it's hard to tell, isn't it? Because Moses, as he writes Genesis, he doesn't tell us. But the fact that Rachel has put them on her camel saddle and is now sitting on them doesn't exactly point her to having them or holding them in, in high esteem, doesn't it? Especially given her time of the month. But whatever the reason that she stole them, she seems to have picked up enough about trickery from her dad and her husband to know a really good strategy to cover up her actions, doesn't she? And so it's another case of the tricker being tricked, another case of children following the patterns that they've seen established by their parents. And can I say at this point, we're not supposed to see this pattern of deception and lies and think this is the pattern to follow. The week ahead, I will do my best to follow the pattern that I see here in the Bible. No, we're supposed to see this and we're supposed to think quite the opposite. We're supposed to see just how awful it is whenever you cannot trust the words that come out of someone's mouth. If you think back to the call to worship this, this evening, Psalm 33, what is said of God, it says, he loves righteousness and justice. What a contrast. He loves righteousness 
and justice, whereas Satan himself is a father of lies. And so if we are one of God's people this evening, we are supposed to be striving to live lives for what we say, we mean. What we say, we do, we follow through on. We can be relied upon, we can be trusted. Why? Because, well, we are reflecting our Father. We are reflecting our Father, and all that He does is right and true and just. And sadly, sadly, all too often, even among God's people, we can't be trusted. So-and-so says they will do something, and yet it never happens. You say, oh, I'm, I'm committing to my vows of the church membership. We've got them classes coming up. If you want a reminder, come along to see uh, the vows that you've taken, if you're already a member. When are you keeping those vows? Baptismal vows? Parents? Whole congregation? Are we keeping those vows? We're doing what we said we will do? Are you someone who can be relied upon? Are you someone who can be trusted? Do you do what you say you will do? Do you speak in such a way that promotes truth? Don't look at Jacob or Rachel as models for speech. Look at Jesus. Well, it seems as we get to the end of this chapter, um, we're almost the end, Jacob has completely lost it, hasn't he? Verse 26, then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. It's as if this last assault was the straw that broke the camel's back. And there is a camel in this story. Uh, Jacob lets Laban have it, doesn't he? Um, he? He sets out how he's worked for him over the last 20 years now, 14 years, for his two wives and then six more looking after the flock and how it's only ever been to Laban's advantage. And yet, over that time, Laban has been the one who's been acting unjustly. We're told that he's changed the wages 10 times, and I don't think he was uh, increasing them. (laughs) And in fact, it says, if it hadn't been for the fear of God, well, then surely now Laban would have sent him away empty-handed. But how does Jacob understand what has just taken place with God appearing to Laban? Well, Verse 42, this is how he understands what has just taken place. He says, God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. You see, Jacob knows that God saw his mistreatment. He he had been mistreated, absolutely. His life wasn't one of, of model living either, but he had definitely been mistreated. And the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is a God who sees. And really that's the last thing I want us to see as we've kind of been working through this this evening. God sees, in fact, for Jacob and Laban, they set up a covenant between the two of them. And it's with that very understanding, isn't it? These are two men that cannot trust each other and so they have to appeal to God. Yes, Laban won't be there to see how Jacob treats his daughters and his grandchildren. But he says, God will be there and God will see. Verse 49, The Lord watched between me and you, and when we are out of one another's sight, if you oppress my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between me and you. God is witness. God sees, doesn't he? And maybe this evening you have been abused. Perhaps you've been treated really, really badly. And you wonder this evening... 
Will there ever be justice? Well, God sees. God sees. And perhaps you're actually here this evening and you're a, the perpetrator of abuse. And you wonder, does anyone see? And this passage says, God sees. And one day, God will bring about justice for every crime. The righteous punishment of God will fall on those who have not put their trust in Christ. And for those who have found their shelter in him through repentance and faith, well then, Jesus has already bore your punishment at the cross. And so now you experience new life through him. Now that doesn't mean that there might not be implications in terms of earthly punishments and the things that need to take place under the law of the land. We're not really going to have time to go into that this evening, absolutely. That uh, needs to take place. But that's where we really need to stop this evening. So let me just summarize where we've been. It's a, it's a somewhat strange passage, isn't it? It's a story that focuses on two tricky men. But isn't the main focus on a faithful and sovereign God? A God who works through his sovereign hand. A God who is with his people. A God who restrains evil. A God who keeps his covenant promises. A God who sees. And a God who through the seed of Abraham blesses those who bless him. And doesn't that point us to Christ? Christ, the true seed of Abraham, and the blessing that we will receive, that we already receive, if we are in Christ Jesus this evening. Let's pray. Father, as we go through these passages in Genesis, we see lives that all too easily reflect our own. Those who claim to follow you, claim to follow after you as their God, and yet, often they're wayward, often they're prone to wonder, following after false gods, little handmade gods, non-gods. And yet, you choose to set your eye upon them and to love them despite their sinfulness. You choose to rescue and save them and bring them into your family. And Father, we thank you that that is the case this evening, that you are still rescuing and saving sinners like us. And even though we're prone to wonder, you keep bringing us back, leading us to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that that would be the mark of all of us who are Christians this evening, all of us who are believers, that we would repent where we need to repent. And Father, Thank you for that reminder that you're a God who sees. Some of us need to know that you see because we have been treated really badly. And some of us need to know that you see so that we do not continue to act in the ways that we have been acting. And so, Lord, would you help us with that? Lord, I pray that we would have heard your voice this evening and that we would be willing to be obedient. Maybe there's people here and you've been unsettling them, you've been poking the nest so that things are no longer as comfortable, so that they might sit up and hear your voice. Lord, if that's the case this evening, might they have heard it loud and clear, and might they respond, not by rejecting it, not by putting it off, but by saying, 
here I am. I want to be a faithful servant. Use me. Take me. And Lord, if there's people here this evening who maybe they recognize that you are God, maybe they recognize that you're in control. That's why they're here this evening. They maybe fear you, and so every so often they find themselves coming to church, and yet, like Laban, they do not worship you as the one true living God. Father, might you move in their hearts to bring about a change so that tonight they might say, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.